Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, hi. Thanks for checking in. I'm still a piece of garbage. Indeed, I am a piece of garbage. And why is that, you may ask? Well, it's the second week in a row I have not got the podcast out on a Sunday, so I apologize to you, constant listener. And the reason for that is I like to be up to date i like to be able to get the podcast out on the Sunday, just after the fights. Um, not to be hot off the press or anything, but while the fights are still fresh in your mind and you actually want to listen to someone talking about them, i like to get the podcast out. Also, they're, they're fresh in my mind, which allows me to have a good perspective on them. And, you know, sometimes you might want to rewatch a fight to, to death to get your head around it. But I think oftentimes your initial reads are good enough, at least to provide some interesting commentary about them and, and, and to get out your uh, thoughts as soon as they're about to finish. And I think that's probably what's most interesting to listen to. Not necessarily the most accurate and poured over thoughts, but, you know, visceral, in-the-moment thoughts. And, and unfortunately, I haven't got those for you two weeks in a row now. Um, the MMA this week uh, was somewhat interesting. Uh, there were some really good fights, some decent performances. The main event in the UFC card was a complete stinker, so we'll get to that later. Got some Bellator talk today. But actually the first point of concern is going to be the absolute instant classic in the boxing we saw this past weekend. After this. So, Lee Wood, Michael Conlon for a world featherweight strap. My anticipation going into it was not that high. A uh, bit of context, Michael Conlon was the world gold medalist in 2000 and, oh God, 2015. So, yeah, uh, famously stiffed at the Olympics. Uh, Lee Wood, for me, is a fighter that I've had no choice but to get on board with. Um, we'll come back to Conlon in a second because he's quite interesting as a pro. Um, Lee Wood, for me, is a fighter that, I've, you know, for, for years I wasn't too fussed on. Um, it's clear to see that he's lost to Gavin McDonald back in the day because he was still finding his feet but you know uh, one of many domestic sort of level fighters that I wasn't particularly sold on he has some some some, some good attributes there'll be no doubt um, full disclosure that in his training team now uh, Ben Davison is Lee Wiley who's a good mate of mine and has been for years way before he became a big shot um, so yeah so you know full disclosure it doesn't at all um uh, change my opinion on, on Lee Wood and hopefully you'll see that in a second with my appraisal of him. Um, he's been in some good, good domestic scraps over the years with like Jazza Dickens and stuff like that. Uh, known for some pretty 
scary KOs actually. The Reese Mold knockout was terrifying, um, brutal salvo punches. And I somewhat stood up and took notice when he beat uh Kan, the long running uh WBA champion from China, who had been floated as a possible unification dance partner for Josh Warrington uh, more than once. Warrington, of course, lost his belt in somewhat stunning fashion. Uh, and then Lee Wood battered and pulverised Yukan down the stretch and um, stopped him in, in the last round. So there's a guy who can carry his power late. He's somewhat interested as a fighter and so he can punch him either stance, somewhat upright. Uh, he's a boxer-puncher type. Pretty fast hands when he when he wants to show him off. Um, gutsy performer. And seems to be more than the sum of his parts, in my opinion. Which we'll get to in a minute with this fight. Um, Conlon, obviously, as I said, outstanding amateur. Has consistently uh, disappointed me as a pro. That might seem harsh. Uh, let me tell you why. Um, I was a big fan of his uh, as an amateur. Found him to be a quality operator. Felt that he could turn over pro and be quite impressive. Um, was surprised that he sort of. I'm pretty sure since he turned pro, sort of fighting a featherweight, and I always felt he could have made a lighter weight and wondered straight away, well, what's going on here? What's going on here? Why is this guy? You know, it's not like fighting his natural weight. He looked a little bit, you know, not not in the best shape, and thought maybe he could be fighting at a lower weight, bantam or super bantam, something like that. I think at some point he was, you know, down at that weight. But okay, whatever. People change as they become pro, as they get older. That's fine. Um, found some of his performances not all that impressive as a pro, defence all over the place and seemed to lack a decent process. Um, recently beat TJ Dehaney, who's a fighter I do rate. Um, again, like you know, he was a really, really good um, world-level performer at one point. So, yeah, all right, fair enough. Starting to put it all together and, you know, generally, Conlon, I'm not a massive fan of his as a pro, didn't really give me a huge amount to be pissed off about, you know. I think he could have done a bit better. Well, starts off this fight at the weekend against Lee Wood and instantly makes me look like a fucking idiot because he comes out, looks really sharp, goes out like a bladed stance, popping jabs off, splitting the guard, switches to southpaw, and right at the end of the first round, absolutely whoops Lee Wood with an overhand there. And from there on in, basically, it's an instant classic. Fight of the year for me so far, and it'll be hard to top it. Um, Lee Wood seemed to have some something to do with, I imagine, being hurt early, but he didn't really have much um, answer to what Colin was doing offensively. As I say, earlier on, Colin came out, bladed stance, and was popping jabs from orthodox stance, switched to southpaw, and from there on in, basically, Colin wasn't really able to miss with the left hand. He did have some variety to it. Uh, because he sort of drops the shoulder and whips it over the top, sometimes he'll be able to turn it into a chest punch or he bring it around to the body or use it to disguise a right hand. Um, but generally, just sort of when he wanted to get that overhand left, he was able to get it. 
And Lee Wood's approach, at least for the first three or so rounds, was and probably hampered by the fact he, he was concussed or at least badly hurt because that knockdown was a heavy one at the end of the first round. But Lee Wood's own output was uh, remarkably basic. Um, he would shoot the right hand out straight with little to no setup. He was not really putting punches together in combination, wasn't really getting his lead hand working, either as a deterrent, as a jab, or as a uh, or as some sort of distraction. Um, as, as it went on, of course, he did, uh, as we'll get to. But basically, Lee Wood was really remarkably quite basic. Um, and, as I say, mainly due with Conlon's approach. Conlon looked fantastic, uh, fast puncher, uh, mainly throwing single shots but combinations as, as the fight built on. He did ask Adam Booth at one point, you know, how am I doing? And I think Booth said, look, you, you get to the extent of, you know, you're getting you know, ropey here because you, you've hurt him. So, you know, settle down and start doing what makes you good rather than trying to take his head off. But uh, quite frankly, it was working for him. Um, he was landing big shots. Um, from the fourth round, Wood was starting to do some interesting work. He did start to bring uh, the lead hand in more as, as, as a fainting tool, try and throw Conlon off uh, in terms of his rhythm and just get his own rhythm going. He also, rather than whipping the right hand upstairs or just firing it straight out, he did start whipping it round to the body, which was a vital tool, in my opinion, in changing the tide of this fight. But my God, was the tide something to behold. Um, there was many standout rounds. Uh, Conlon had, would stunned a couple of times. There was a couple of shots that sort of shook him to his boots. Ninth round was really good. The tenth round was... Well, for me, one of the best rounds I've seen so far this year in any combat sport. Um, both guys going tooth and nail on the inside. In the 11th round, Conlon had some really great moments standing in the pocket and throwing combinations. But what Wood started doing was, and, and, and he was building to this, because as the as the rounds progressed, Wood started this more more front foot feints, say working that lead hand, started co- sort of corralling Conlon more and more into the ropes. And when that happened, Wood was able to get his combinations off. And then in that, uh, in the 10th and 11th rounds, they would stand centre ring and Wood was able to get his combination off. He was punched with Conlon. And he was starting to get more and more, more and more success. And at one point, he beat Conlon sort of to a standstill, caught him in a combination, shifted into a southpaw stance and cracked him. And what's good about Lee Wood, by the way, and both these guys, they could both punch out of either stance. I like that about him. I like that about Lee Wood. And sort of cracked Conlon with a short uh, left hand, which dropped him. Got got the knockdown back. For me, wouldn't have done much in terms of the scorecards. The retro, respectively, does actually look like it would have done something with the scorecards because they were closer than I would have thought. Um, but the hometown man, the Nottingham boy, drops Conlon, gets that knockdown back. Some talk that might have been a slip. Um, but he does not give up the initiative. He's on the front foot in the last round. And again, he, he, he's interrupting Conlon's radar with, with a number of feints. He's actually fainting to the outside of Conlon's guard. Anything he can do to try and take his eyes off Leeward's prize. Two minutes to go in the 12th and final round. It was so eagerly anticipated. And he's living up to the billing as they flail away in the centre of the ring. Lee Wood is doing exactly what he needed to do, what I was asking him to do, and he's going for broke, and he's having success, it's over! It's all over! After a minute and 20 seconds of the final round, we have seen one of the most astonishing turnarounds in a world title fight in this country. And there is great concern over on the far side of the ring about the condition of Michael Conlon, 
who folded so so quickly. Another's in the that prize being Lee Wood's right hand, which cracked Conlon, flattened him out immediately, sent him halfway out of the ring. Well, no, completely out of the ring. And as I'm sure might have heard there in that sound clip, there was some concern after as to Conlon's condition. He's absolutely fine. Got to spend some time with Lee Wood after the fight, but looks it was great to see all respect between those two and the kind of respect I suppose you have after engaging in such an amazing contest. What Lee Wood done in that last round was really good. He really piled it on with Conlon. Whether that eleventh round knockdown, quote unquote, was a slip or not, he felt that he was saying, and he felt that he wasn't as powerful as he was earlier on in the fight. Conlon started strong, was shaking Lee Wood to his boots regularly, but as the fight went on, Wood worked his way back into the fight. As I said earlier, more insistence on body shots, started to punch with Conlon, started to pile it on him more, started to constantly move him back to the ropes with his feints and his front foot pressure, changing, changing up his stance, constantly getting Conlon to think, basically, and to do things that he didn't want to do. Therefore, by the end of that fight, when Lee would really amped it up, and he did, he was coming from underneath, showing, throwing shots over the top of Conlon's guard, and Conlon, by the way, is a guy who fights with a low-slung left hand, uh, low-slung lead hand, sorry, whichever stance he's in, low-slung lead hand anyway. So um, he, he, he works reflexively, mainly. Um, so, you know, you can you can, you can can overload that sort of defensive radar and eventually uh, make it so that defence is untenable, and that's how, how it worked out. And Lee Wood done some really interesting thing with his lead hand. He say, went to the outside of Collins' guard, then on the inside, then on the outside, and then bang, when he brought the uh, right hand across, Collins moved into it, Caught him bang on the chin, laid him out. Great work. And I don't, as I said, I, I don't want to prove to be biased towards Lee Woods. I'm not a massive fan of his, even though I've got a friend who uh, works in his camp. But quite frankly, it's hard not to sit up and take notice when he continues to carry his power late in the fights and is picking up such impressive victories against fighters that we actually know and we actually have got some uh, background knowledge of being quality operators. As I said with Conlon, not massively impressed me as a pro, but the amateur pedigree is there. And it looks to me like he had his absolute best night as a pro in this fight and Lee Wood still came through and won, even after a shambolic start to the fight, which says a lot for how quality the Nottingham man is. He's 33, they're clearly going to have a rematch. Um, what's a shame for me is that, although when I looked up the fight on YouTube today, it is trending, whatever that means. Number nine in trending, what? Is it like Amazon, where it's the number nine trending boxing match that was held in Great Britain over the past month, where it's like some really small uh, compartmentalisation uh, of genre? Or is it actually trending high because, you know, people were talking about it? Because not enough people were talking about it going into the fight, and not enough people, in my opinion, were talking about it in the immediate aftermath. Which is a shame, because you guys know, if you listen to this podcast, and if you're a new guy, hi. Um, but I'm somewhat of a cynic. Or at least I'm not as easily impressed as I used to be. Even though I'm not, you know, I'm not professionally negative. It does take a lot to impress me, just because I've got a lot of broad range of comparison points. And I've seen a lot of boxing matches. And it's not hyperbole, in my opinion, when I say this was an immediate bout which was an all-time classic. It had everything. It had drama. It had ebb and flow. It had drama late in the fight. It had, the, it had momentum shifts. It had two excellent performances where guys changed their approach throughout, found different things that worked for them, and adjusted to each other's game plans. For me, that's what makes a great boxing belt. 
and this had it all in spades. It really was fantastic from start to finish. So if you haven't seen the fight between Lee Wood and Michael Conlon, I suggest you see it immediately. Maybe you ain't got time to watch the full 36 minutes, and it's just under 36 minutes because it doesn't go the full 12-round distance, even though it goes into the final round. But, you know, there's, a, there's probably some good 15-minute highlight packages on YouTube from official uh, standpoints. But if you do go to Daily Motion, you can see the whole fight. And I highly recommend you watch it. As I say, it's not hyperbole, and it's not typical for me to say straight after the fight that it was an instant classic, especially not in the sport of boxing. But this really was it. There was somewhat of an instant classic at the UFC card as well, which we're going to get to in a minute. And it was also somewhat of a complete stinker. So we're going to get to UFC first after this break and then eventually get over to the Bellator main event as well, which I think definitely deserves some shine because it was a really, really, really good bout. That'll be after this. Combat Chronicles podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show indeed, and let's not spend too much time on the Magomed Ankalaev versus Thiago Santos fight because, to be honest with you, I, ugh, there wasn't much of interest. Um, it's interesting to learn more about where both guys are at. It's interesting for me to put the idea to bed of Ankalaev being some kind of uh, actual interest in 205 pounder. Now, look, look. The idea of Ankle Live is great, yeah? T-Mac, Mac guy who gives us some sort of semblance of an idea of a fighter who's kind of like, mm, even scaling for division, some kind of ACA quality light heavyweight. It's interesting. Sounds great. Sounds fantastic. Exactly what the division needs. You've got some, you know, you've got Rakic, you've got Ankle Live, Prochaka, a couple of interesting 205ers coming through. And you really want Uncle Ive to be part of that. Cause you, you know, if you can get rid of old man Glover and then you know, actually have some younger guys fighting each other and you might actually get some sort of semblance of an interesting division. But Uncle Ive just ain't here. He's limited output, does some interesting things, counter-punching-wise. Uh, He's clearly got some grappling chops, doesn't use it enough. Got clobbered coming out of the pocket here against Santos and it looked like he was briefly hurt. Um, and Thiago's, you know, he's, he hasn't got it anymore in my opinion, especially given the injuries he's had and whatnot. And Uncle Ive doesn't really kick as much as I like to see him do, uh, sort of see him kick. He doesn't really grapple as much as I like to see him grapple. Just generally, look, that's that's enough. That's enough. He has some interesting traits, but. Um, it's not the sum of his parts, in my opinion. I'd like it if he became so, but um, uh, yeah, I've, I've, the coffin's open. I have this. I have the stake in my hand. I'm not yet ready to plunge it into the heart of the division just yet because Jerry Prochaka makes it somewhat interesting. If he shits the bed and loses against Glover, then oh god, I just I couldn't give a fuck. Some fighters who I absolutely could give a fuck about. Terence McKinney and Drew Dober. What an absolute shootout that was. Um, one of the rounds of the year, 100%. I 
I like McKinney, what he brings to the cage. He's, he's, he's obviously a ball of energy. He's varied offense. Um, he, can, he can hit. Um, he sort of took this fight on short notice. Don't really like the way he conducts himself on social media. He comes across as a bit of a... Uh, it's a bit of a twat, quite arrogant, not really the kind of traits I like in a fighter. It's fine if you do, for me personally, not really my bag. I like Drew Dober, he's sound. Um, when I used to work for the fight site, he was very kind enough to give us an interview and he's a cool dude. Um, and he's got a fucking chin on him. Both in terms of aesthetics uh, and in terms of what, he, you know, intangibles he possesses. Because McKinney came out abs- like an absolute storm. Clobbered uh, Dober more than once. Adam down, Adam rocked. Adoba somehow persevered, came back into it, uh, hurt McKinney, got him down, and then and ended up with ground and pound. Um, a fair play to both guys. I'd love. To, I, I, there's not really much to see from say from a technical standpoint, in my opinion. Um, I like how sort of janky and creative McKinney is. Doba didn't show anything different. He just reiterated the the fact that he's an absolute hoss in terms of his physicality and his toughness. And um, fair play to McKinney taking it on short notice. Um, so many interesting fights of both guys going forward in what is what remains a quality division. And, uh, yeah, just not really much to say other than the fact. If you, if you haven't seen it yet, just stop this podcast and watch it now. It, it, it's so worth a watch. It's so brilliant. So much fun. So interesting uh, just to see these two guys just go at it. Um, and much I hate to say it, McKinney's got a bright future, I think. He's actually, maybe not a bright future, he's got an interesting future, because either he reigns this in, um, uses what, you know, he's clearly an athletic fighter with, with some power and serious bollocks for taking a fight on such short notice, so he's got a lot of interesting traits. Either he reigns it in and might actually become an interesting fighter in terms of future contendership, or he doesn't rein it in, continues to be uh, up and down uh, in terms of, you know, blowing his load early and maybe he becomes just one of the, the premier uh, action fighters in a division instead which wow I'd love to see that as well It'd be amazing um, but let's see he's still a young guy and as I say huge credit for him for taking this fight short notice even though I'm not a fan of him personally uh, in terms of what he brings to the cage very interesting uh, fighter to watch and I'm a fan of that um, a fighter I'm a fan of who I've written about who I've podcasted about before on heavy hands is uh, Alex Pereira, Pabatan, um, Stonehand, the probably the hardest striker in all of combat sports, arguably, pound for pound, monster. Um, I think I podcasted about him, his UFC debut on Heavy Hands, and it's a clear, you know, clear red flags in terms of you know Bruno Silva getting him down. If you want to grapple Pereira, you can. He's getting better at getting back to his feet. Um, or riding out bad positions and surviving, which he wasn't earlier on in his career, which is great to see. Um, but in terms of his all-round game, um, you know, some people want to talk about him potentially sort of ghosting his way into a title shot just because people want to see the a third fight between him and Israel Adesanya. But two things: a Adesanya is very, very good now at um, forcing a low-output kickboxing match on people. Um, might not be. You know, as interesting as you might think. But secondly, like even if someone like Vittori would just rinse um, Alex Pereira, so you're going to have to keep him in, in matchups that favour him. I mean, I'm not totally 
adverse to the idea that someone like Till might just go, do you know what, if I just wrestle this guy, I might win. Till's shown nothing as a grappler, but if he, he must know that he's just... The problem with Pereira is people are getting him into good positions against the fence or whatnot, but they're not working. If you can get him to a good position and just punch him a bit, you'll win rounds. If you stand with him for any extended period of time, he's going to clobber you. Um, Silva done some interesting things in drawing the lead and countering uh, pressure on Pereira because that's something I've noted before in, in writing about him and, and commentating uh, about, uh, or rather commenting on his game. You know, he, he can back up in straight lines. You can pressure him. You can um, sort of get him into disarray and catch him in a flurry because he does back up in straight lines. But generally, Pereira is just he's so great to watch. Um, I've seen some people online, you know, yeah, I'm sure people might think that Silva might deserve the second round, but I saw someone today that say that maybe Pereira might have lost. There's no way he lost that fight. That third round was a 10-8. He had Silva in some terrible, terrible positions, badly hurt, badly rocked, and in terms of scoring criteria, I think that's a pretty clear 10-8. Um, again, my, if you haven't listened to my previous uh, appearance on Heavy Hands when I spoke about Pereira, what I'm really happy about him is his poise. He's becoming, uh, he's just settling down. He's becoming more comfortable in the cage, more comfortable, in, not even in the cage, but in an MMA setting. He's not freaking out when he gets put in bad positions, which I, which is fine at the moment. You know, I I feel there are even at one eighty five, which is extremely shallow. I'm sure there are fighters who are experienced enough to take advantage of getting him in those bad situations, which neither fighter has really done just yet. Um, but yeah, Pereira's just getting more comfortable. He's clearly training with a championship level fighter in Glover Teixeira and, 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 and just honing his skills uh, in mixed martial arts uh, in terms of all-round game. And then, of course, applying his already existing skills to an MMA setting. And didn't get the finish this time, but no less exciting because of it, because you can see he's bouncing people's brains off the inside of their skulls on a regular. And just, you know, I hope whatever happens, fun action fighter, contender, or just complete blowout, I hope they just continue to put him in fights where he can be interesting. There's no point proving a point, making the kickboxer lose. Put him in fights that are interesting, whether you think he's going to be a contender or not. You might as well give him... Because it's not like... I'm not saying give him gimmies, people that he'll definitely knock out, because... If you watch his old MMA bouts or even some of his kickboxing bouts, there are even strikers that will be able to hack it with him at times. It's not like he's some, you know, and we've seen kickboxers come over and lose in, in, in kickboxing, in, in a mixed martial arts bouts. Need I remind you about Mr. Roundtree, who's also fought on this card? You know, you can have top kickboxers come in and lose in mixed martial arts bouts simply because of the unknown factor of other facets of the game. Uh, changing the way they apply themselves. Alex Pereira is already lost in mixed martial arts simply because he didn't apply himself well. I think he's getting more comfortable with it and I like what he's doing, but the fact matter is he's he's not infallible and even with selective matchmaking, um, they're not going to be gimmies. I would like to see him in with someone like Darren Till next who's lost a couple of fights on the bounce. It might be that they... You know, they don't go for someone like that, but I'd gladly see him against someone like that. Someone like Jack Hermanson, no, because he's just going to grapple Pereira and, and beat him easily. I, I guess so, somewhat of a legitimate mixed martial artist in terms of the skills they possess, like Calvin Gaston might work because he's smaller. Um, we know he can wrestle to an extent. 
generally likes to strike. He's got a lot of miles on the clock. Um, you could see him just being short and stout and getting twatted with an elbow, uh, sorry, with a knee straight up the centre or an uppercut, um, whilst also at least posing some sort of threat in other you know, phases. So that might be a calculated risk. Also got Cache as a name. Um, that could move um, Pereira up the rankings quite quickly. But um, I think, you know, pushing Pereira into a title fight, it's gimmicky, really. It's gimmicky and um, looking to sell a fight based on something which has happened before. Um, I'd like to think that Pereira will be start, soon start making a name for himself as a mixed martial artist himself because I think people are watching and people are wising up to the fact that he's an interesting fighter to watch. Uh, at least in the main event of Bellator, we had two very interesting fighters to watch. And we're going to get into that just after this. Guys, there was a big fight outside the UFC this weekend. And no, I'm not going to be talking about Kevin Lee versus Diego Sanchez. Wake me up when Eagle are actually doing something interesting. Um, a Dane and a Hungarian fighting in where? The arse end of nowhere, probably. Bellator 276. Mads Bernal versus Adam Boric. And sorry to any, anyone from St. Louis, Missouri who thinks that... Um, that was a dig. Um, but, yeah. Uh, Bellator do have their cards in weird places sometimes. But, um, yeah, I mean, a Dane fighting out of Extreme Couture and uh, a Hungarian fighting out of Sanford MMA. So, two quality camps, two quality fighters. In my opinion, even given all the vast array of talent outside the UFC, these two are almost certainly in the top 25 fighters not currently signed up. Um, this was a outstanding two-way technical. Absolutely brilliant from start to finish. Both guys fought well from the opening bell right up to the end. It's actually great. Straight away, just round one starts, they just walk straight up to each other and there basically was a pocket battle for 25 minutes or an inside battle even. Um, uh, again, a disclaimer that I've actually spoken to Mads Burnell before. He was a friend of the fight site when I worked there. Um, I spoke to him. He's a really nice guy. He's probably spoke to him. I'm not saying I'm special. I'm just saying, you know, he probably speaks to a lot of people because he seems like a really personal guy. I'm saying that so, you know, you know straight up that, you know, I'm going to try to uh, rule out any inherent bias. Really like Adam, Adam Boric as a fighter for a while. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to act like a some sort of genius. I only heard about him when he uh, fought Aaron Pico that time. I think he was like 11 and 0 or 12 and 0 or something. Absolutely shambolic matchmaking. Um, it's crazy, even though Pico was seen as like a super prospect. Put him in with, uh, he's coming off a loss and to put him in with a guy who was so, uh, on such a good run himself. Um, obviously, Boric was not really highly touted at that point, but it's clear to see now that that was insane matchmaking. Um, as a bout, brilliant. Uh, Bernal does so many interesting things, which I'm sure most people have touched upon before because he has this sort of bizarre for MMA boxing centric game with all these uh, cross arm guards and and slips and encounters in the pocket basically got this sort of Archie Moore thing going on which is just wonderful to watch but why this was such an intriguing bout was Boric had the correct counter to that because he is it's basically a sort of inside pocket boxing game versus uh, what was essentially a clinch based Muay Thai game 
And Boris did some really interesting things to countermance his game. He would sometimes even use the, the flying knee um, either to anticipate Burnell coming in. Sometimes he used it to enter the clinch himself. Uh, once there, he would um, he had an array of elbows and, and, and knees to, to get and to get work done. And actually, that was what was most important for this bout in terms of scoring because there were high-impact moves that clearly uh, had had an had immediate impact on Burnell. But what Burnell was doing with his throwaways in order to throw Boric off or to herd him towards uh, a right hand as, as he exited the pocket or in using his extremely cultured left hand, which must be one of the most uh, brilliant weapons in all of MMA right now, to double up to her body and head or vice versa, tucking body shots behind the elbow. It's just excellent work. And, and, and more than once, he clearly... Hurt Boric once with a body shot, and I think once there was a, a pretty big right hand upstairs um, later on in the fight. But um, Bernal doesn't really have a lot of cracking power. He's a really excellent fighter. By the way, back to that inside battle before I go on to this. But there was some I want oh, acted like Boric just had all the answers on the inside, and that's why he won. But that's not true. Uh, Bernal did a lot of excellent work in close, and um, one thing I particularly liked was the the Roberto Duran right uppercut, the pullback, um, which he used to great effect when Boric tried to tie him up. You can't leave one hand free for Burnell because he will work. Um, I would like to see Mads kick more. Um, what I liked was that neither guy was really deployed much in terms of range weaponry. Uh, mainly just, it seemed some sort of unwritten agreement that these guys are just going to go to war um, but in a really technical manner like and I'd say technical like oh, it was technical I mean like generally like the guys um, used a, a wide array of tricks to get their best punches or best shots off um, the grappling was uh, scarce um, uh, Boric did take uh, Burnout down I think maybe once um, and didn't really get anything going and Mads got straight back up and uh, Mads didn't really uh, I think at one point uh, Mads shot from way out of nowhere it was you know there was nothing there was nothing with it it was a shit shit shot to be honest with you and Mads never really pressed his grappling advantage which, which he probably should have done because even though it was a great stand up battle uh, we know he's uh, somewhat of a dab hand with submissions uh, and basically I think that in a weird way because he had so much success and he looked so great Masbanel played into Boric's hands because the high impact stuff was what was winning rounds. And I think the only clear round I gave Mads was the third round. Um, he had shares of the first two, but um, Boric landed, clearly landed the, the, the harder shots in the first round. And in the second round, he landed. It was, I'm pretty sure Mads was doing the better work for much of the second round, but he did get dropped late on. So. Um, for me, it's one of those bizarre fights that is not only competitive throughout, highly competitive throughout, but I had a clear winner. Um, not sure where either man stands because we're going to have the rematch between AJ McKee and uh, and Pitbull. I think McKee's got one fight left on his contract and it's this. He's probably going to win. Uh, and thus, maybe Pitbull will fight Boric or maybe Boric and Bernal will be a rematch for the title. Not sure. Um, but generally... I thought it was an amazing fight, and it's great because both of these guys are under thirty years old. You know, they're not veterans. Uh, they, they are veterans to the extent you know they're experienced, but they're not. You know, they've got a lot of time left to improve further. 
Um, I think Mads can add a few little facets here and there to his game and, and improve his general approach. I wonder whether I wonder whether Mads can squeeze down a 135. I do wonder, but even if he doesn't, um, I think you know it, prospects are, are good for him going forward. Uh, Boric just goes from strength to strength. Just really, really good fighter. But most importantly, I'm really happy that people seem to pick up on this fight and people were talking about it online because both these guys deserve recognition for putting on such an excellent fight. And I like the work both of them are doing. Um, as I say, Mads Bernal, whether he's punching with it or just using it for throwaways to set up attacks, that left hand of his is just wonderful. Uh, and I really like Boric's approach in this fight and the sort of heavy arsenal he's got. As I say, later on in the fight, the, the flying knees weren't really doing much in terms of uh, creating heavy impact. He seemed to be a, bit, a little bit tired from that, but he was using them to enter the clinch and then get off other shots or just to uh, stop Mads, uh, Mads impeding his space. Now, we did see a bit more lateral movement from Boric later on in the fight, and that sort of seemed to work as a reset for him in order to get back to that. Um, I wonder what it'd be like if both guys were using um, kicks and jabs more to implement a more of a range game and, and break up that constant kind of back and forth of close-range combat. But generally, just an absolute joy to watch. And again, if you haven't seen it, I highly, highly recommend it. Take up a little bit more of your time than Drew Dober and Terence McKinney did. Um, but for British viewers, it's on the BBC iPlayer, so it's free and it's easily accessible. You don't need to find it. It's, it's, the fight's just on there. You don't need to scan through the card to find it, so there's no excuse. Um, and for US uh, viewers, hopefully you can find it, because <sighs> what an amazing fight. I really enjoyed this. Just, just a sheer delight from start to finish, and just a pleasure. And well done to both guys. Um, as I say, both fighting have quality gyms, both got quality components to their game. Sheer class. Much like me, sheer class. And hopefully this podcast has kept your attention from start to finish, much as Mads Bernal and Adam Boric held mine. Uh, next week, not sure if I'm going to do a podcast. There's some interesting fights on the uh, UK card, the London card. If they if they sort of spark into something particularly interesting, I might do a podcast on it, just talk about guys that I find particularly interesting. Uh, there is some stuff coming up on the Patreon, which will be happening soon. Uh, but Gran Turismo 7 has very much uh, got my attention at the moment and I have a life outside of this so if there's no free podcast next week I apologise but again if you want the cool stuff you can always head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles thanks again for listening and whether it's next week or the week after that you'll be hearing from me soon When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.